Thanks. Morning. Um, that advent calendar is not mine. I just want to say that. And Nick says he doesn't know where all the chocolate went, which means Hannah must have eaten it all. So I thought I'd just share that with you publicly. Um, so this is the final talk in our trending preach series. And we've looked at some really difficult subjects over the last few weeks. We've looked at things like uh, beginning of life and abortion. We've looked at gender. We've looked at euthanasia. We've looked at things like busyness as well. And the purpose of the series has been to really explore some of the issues that are very live in our culture and some of the things that shape us as a society um, collectively but also that shape us individually as well. So as Paul said this morning, I'm going to look at materialism. And I'm not sure if you'll think this is a good subject to look at this close to Christmas or a bad subject. Um, I actually think this possibly is the most appropriate time to talk about it because it's a time of year that, you know, traditionally we would have associated with Jesus, but is now associated with a huge amount of excess, eating to excess, buying gifts to excess, drinking to excess, and so on. So I think this is something, it's a subject that most of us will easily see is an issue in our society. There won't be many of us here, I don't think, who will go, no, no, I don't think materialism is a problem. But I think it's also crept into us, too, into me. And I wonder if it's kind of crept into you as well. So the passage we're going to look at this morning, if you want to turn to it, is 1 Timothy 6, um, verse 6 onwards. It will come up on the screen um, if you haven't got there. But yeah, so 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. It says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And then down in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Now, I want to start by saying that I think this passage in the Bible and others like it show that actually God doesn't have a problem with being rich, which is probably good news for most of us in the room because comparatively, particularly on a global scale, most of us in this room would be in the richest 5% of people in the world. And this passage shows God doesn't have a problem with people being rich. God isn't against the rich. Actually, you know, there's a story in the gospel of a rich young man who comes to Jesus and um, says, kind of, he comes to him and asks him questions about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
That was Jesus' response to this rich guy. He wasn't opposed to the rich. He didn't discriminate against them. But he did say that it is difficult for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And there's a clear warning here in this passage in 1 Timothy 6 and elsewhere in the Bible that the desire to be rich can be something that causes us a whole load of misery. And actually not just us, but people around us too, because what we do with our money affects others as well. It says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money and the desire to be rich can be a powerful motivator behind all kinds of bad attitudes and bad behavior. Now I want to say as well that materialism isn't the same as having a lot. You can actually have a lot. You can be extremely wealthy and not be materialistic at all. And likewise, you can have very little, but be very consumed with acquiring more and more and more. The question this morning isn't, is it okay to be rich? Is it okay to have a lot? It's actually about how much our hearts are attached to these things. How much do we consider our money and our belongings to be our own? Something that we cling to, something that we set our hope on. Like I said, I don't think um, many of us would argue about materialism being rife in our culture. Probably most of us would have just had to look at our emails on Black Friday, which was just over a week ago. I got loads. I wanted to put it up on the screen for you, but um, the image was too small. But just a few will come up on the screen now, a selection of my inbox on Black Friday. Basically, messages telling me that I must buy stuff and I must buy it right now. I must get it this day. If I don't buy on this particular day or this particular weekend, I'm going to lose out. I won't have um, got the best deals. I won't have made the most of it. I think in my inbox on Black Friday and the Saturday after it, I think I had about 45 emails from retailers trying to get me to buy stuff. And last year in Britain, we spent £33 billion on Christmas. It's a lot of money, isn't it? I know Christmas is important, and obviously we hold it dear, those of us who are Christians, but to spend £33 billion on what is essentially one day of the year is, seems a bit crazy to me. I think what's more troubling still is that 30% of people in this country, adults in this country, got into debt last year to spend that on Christmas. And even worse than that, 19% would struggle, for financially, struggle financially for three months or more as a result of what they spent on Christmas last year. Debt is actually a huge issue in our country. Someone becomes insolvent in England and Wales every six minutes. Every six minutes. And the Citizens Advice Bureau deals with 4,000 problems with debt every single day in this country. Now, obviously, some people get into debt out of desperation, some people get into debt because they don't know how else to make ends meet. We see that in our own food bank, week in, week out, that there are people who've had no choice but to get into debt just to put food on the table, just to pay the bills. So obviously, um, it, not all debt is about materialism. But actually, particularly for the middle classes, particularly for those who have more, debt has become a normal way of life, particularly over the last 40 years or so, since credit cards became more widely available and personal loans became more widely available. We're now in a society where actually the ha we're in the habit of spending money that doesn't belong to us, that it's become normal and commonplace to spend money that isn't ours. 
to the extent where we probably don't even really think about it in those terms. When we put something on a credit card, we probably don't think, I'm spending money that doesn't belong to me. Since the global financial crash in 2008, almost 10 years ago now, credit cards and loans have gone from being something that is undesirable but sometimes necessary to becoming actually for many people an intrinsic part of making it from one month to the next. Research that was published just this summer found that 22% of the British public rely on credit cards just to kind of live normal life. That's over a fifth. I think what's really fascinating about this research, though, um, that came out in the summer, is that 30% of people using credit cards to get by earn between 50 and £70,000 a year. It's not what we'd expect, is it? And the higher income bracket made up the largest proportion of borrowers. And I think what's even more interesting is that those who earn more than £70,000 a year are the most likely to only pay the minimum off their credit card each month. Actually, the smaller income you're on, the more likely you are to overpay because you want to be free of the debt. That's what this study found. A different study found that 73% of people in this country think that Britain is becoming more materialistic and that we are more likely to spend on holidays, clothes, leisure, eating out, takeaways, than we are to give to good causes. And I think, you know, when I read that list, I think there's some things on that list, and I think, I wonder how I'm doing at that. I wonder how quick I am to buy a takeaway, rather than think about whether I could give that money to a good cause. And it's not to say that we, we can't enjoy things. Um, it's not to say that we can't do any of this and, and we should give everything away. But I think it's worth us reflecting, how much is this true of me? How much has money and possessions and spending habits just got a hold on me that I may not even be thinking about on a regular basis? Now, there are lots of ways in which we're a really generous nation. Um, the fact that we have a foreign aid budget, the fact that um, we can have a Friday night where TV is given over to raising money for children in need, and literally thousands and thousands will pour in. Um, there are some countries, many countries around the world, where that probably wouldn't be a normal thing, a normal habit that um, comes about. But actually, as generous as we are, materialism, the pursuit of money and possessions, is rife in our society. And I think it's really easy for us to think that we're immune from it. But the truth is that most of us in this room will have more than the essentials we need to live. I know I do. There are so many warnings in the Bible to religious people, to Christians in particular, that, um, about money, that it's really good for us to just have a sober reflection and to just take stock and ask, are we more attached to our belongings and to our money than is godly, and than is good for us. Because in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to flee from these things, to flee from the desire to be rich and to flee from the love of money. It's a strong word, isn't it? To actually run from it, to run away from it. And it applies not just to Timothy, but to us as well. And you know, the funny thing is that personally, I've kind of felt like I do quite well at this, if I'm honest with you. Um, I've been, I think, you know, over the last few years, I've thought, I'm not materialistic. I'm quite good with my money. Just, you know, you can all congratulate me later. Um, until about 14 months ago, I only owned six things that were worth more than £50 each. I had an iPhone, 
an iPad, but even that was a mini one and it was refurbished, so it was on the cheaper side. A laptop, a small TV, a car and a bedside table that my mum gave me. They were the only things I owned worth more than £50. I didn't own any clothes or shoes worth more than that, which you can probably tell. Um, I didn't own any furniture aside from the bedside, bedside table that my mum had given me. But then last summer, I started to prepare for buying my first home. And I went to Ikea for the first time. And I was like a kid in a sweet shop. I literally, I think I really wanted one of everything. I really was going around. I didn't go the first time to buy anything. I went for the experience of being at Ikea and, and thinking about some legitimate things, like I needed a bed to sleep on, things like that. But as I walked around Ikea, I was like, oh, I could have that, and I could have that, and I could have that. And it was, I was almost like, you know, all shiny things. I must have one of everything. And it was really interesting just to notice how quickly my heart can go from this kind of sense of smug self-righteousness, I don't own very much at all, look at me, aren't I doing well, to I want everything, and my eyes kind of bulging in delight at the idea of all these things I could finally um, have and that would belong to me. And, it, you know, this week as I've been preparing this, Paul and I were talking the other day, how do we tell if we're materialistic? Because it's really easy to think, oh, no, I'm just not, or even to think, oh, yeah, I am, but I don't quite know what to do about it. And we were thinking, how do we make a realistic assessment of our own attitudes towards money and possessions? And one of the things that Paul said that I found really helpful was, we can often tell what our attitude is when we think we're about to come into some money. So if I said to you, I'm going to give you £500 for Christmas, I'm not, by the way, but if I said to you that I was, what would you start to think about? Because I know, like, for example, if Paul said to me that he was going to give me £500 for Christmas, which hopefully he is, um, then I would start thinking, oh, you know, I do need, I need new carpets in the flat, um, or actually that would actually make Christmas easier for me, because if I knew that's coming in, then um, I don't have to worry so much about what I'm spending at this time of year. I think I'd probably be quite slow to think, oh, I wonder who I can bless with that. I wonder who I can give it to. I think the first places I'd go would be, if I'm honest with you, about spending it on myself. And another thing we talked about in preparation for this morning was um, that it would be really interesting to go through our bank statements and just divide it up by what was essential, what was luxury, what was given away, those kind of things. And um, I wonder how you'd feel if I said, can I have your bank statement and can I go through it and do that for you? I asked Paul if I could have his bank statement, and he said no. He wouldn't give it to me. But so I actually decided to do this exercise with my own, with a bit of trepidation. I did say to Paul, well, I think it, some of it might make me look okay, but, you know, some of it probably won't. And so I looked back at my bank statements for the last two months, and I went through and I marked everything as essential, luxury, given away, or there are some things that are in a grey area where I couldn't quite decide what to put them. Let me just say that I defined essential very broadly. So in essential, I didn't want to look too bad. In essential, I put um, my phone, my mobile phone contract, my broadband, petrol, um, every supermarket payment went into essential, even though I know that I, some of that would include wine, which isn't essential. And that's going to upset some of you. So uh, Jan, you can put the slide up. This was mine. So it wasn't, in some ways, I guess it wasn't too bad. I was glad that Essential came to more than half. Essential was 59%. I was disappointed about my giving. 
I thought it would be higher, to be honest. I thought that was one area where I was going to be able to stand there and go, I think I look quite good, but it was lower than I anticipated. And 24% of what I spent in the last two months went on luxury things that I didn't need. 24%. I think that's, that's quite high. And I found it really helpful. I found it surprising. Um, like I say, I wonder how you'd feel if you did this exercise. You can take it down now, Jan. Let's not let people linger on it for too long. Um, but it's an interesting exercise, isn't it, just to go through. And, and just for me, what I found interesting is that I really had no idea. If I'd guessed the amounts, they wouldn't have been quite where it ended up. So I found it really helpful to go, do you know what? I am spending a quarter of my money on luxury. And like I say, some of the things I've included in essential for some people around the world would actually be classed as luxury as well. The point of this isn't that it's wrong to have things that we enjoy. Actually, this passage in Timothy says that God has richly given us everything to enjoy. But the point of it is that most of us probably are spending money without necessarily having a clear idea of the proportions of what we're spending on essential luxury and giving away. I really like, although it makes me feel very uncomfortable, the story of John Wesley and his attitude to money. Wesley was one of the greatest preachers of the 18th century, and he was moved by God to consider how much of his income he could give away to the poor. He began to limit his expenses when he was 28 years old. So he was earning £30 a year, and he worked out he needed £28 to live on and that he could give away the £2 to the poor. The next year, his income doubled, but again, he still only needed £28 to live on, so he kept that, and he gave away the 32 The following year, his income went up again to £90, and he still needed only £28 to live on. So he kept the £28 and gave away the surplus £62 to the poor. Wesley hit a peak in one year of £1,400, and he needed that year £30 to live on. So he kept £30, and he gave away all the rest of that £1,400. This is what Wesley's chart looks like. It's slightly more impressive than mine, um, I think. I think this is really challenging for us, isn't it? It's a real provocation, because Wesley saw everything um, beyond what he needed to live as surplus, as extra, which meant he was able to give it away. But for so many of us, it's much more common to just adjust our lifestyle. So the more we have, the more we just change the way we behave, the more we buy for ourselves, the more we spend on ourselves. I know that I've done that in the past. When I've known I was getting a pay rise, I've thought immediately about, again, what can, it, what can I spend it on? What holiday can I go on? What can I do that I couldn't have done before? I think there's a provocation from Wesley. Do we keep adjusting our lifestyle in line with our income? Or do we keep adjusting our lifestyle in line with what Jesus has to say about money and possessions? Because Wesley lived as if 1 Timothy 6 is the truth. Wesley lived as if there really is great gain in godliness and contentment. And that if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If I'm honest with you, I think if I made a list of what I'm content with, it would be a lot bigger than Wesley's list and a lot bigger than what it says in 1 Timothy. Does God want us all to live like Wesley? You know, possibly not. But are we open to it? I think that's the question. Is everything we have up for grabs if God wants it? I know for me, there's probably areas of my life where I think this bit's ring fence for me, God. And you can have this bit over here. But this bit I definitely need 
as a bit of a safety net. And the way our culture operates is that the more we earn, the more we have coming in, the more we adjust our lifestyle accordingly. I think there are three reasons why we can struggle with letting money and possessions become more important to us than they ought to. And I think one of them is that we think it shows how successful we are. I think we can so easily equate money and possessions and holidays and things like this with success, thinking that the more someone has to spend and the more someone has, the more stuff they own, the more successful they are. And we can fall into the trap of thinking that people will think of us as more or less successful. You know, when people, I've noticed when people come round to my flat, one of the first things I say is, oh, the carpet was here when I moved in and the curtains were too, I will get round to replacing them. Because I think people are going to look at them and think, oh, that's not very nice. What does that say about you? I mean, it's actually crazy. Until I started preparing for this, I hadn't really thought about why I do that. But it's interesting to take stock and think, why do we, why do we feel the need to explain some of these things? And I think related to success, we can also see money and possessions as a marker of our own value as well. We can fall into the trap of thinking that having lots of things of worth makes us have worth too. And if we're really honest, I know if I'm honest, I find myself sometimes judging the status or value of other people based on what they have or what they don't have. Thinking sometimes that those who have a lot, they're the ones who contribute a lot. But those who have very little perhaps don't contribute as much. And it's a completely wrong way to think. It's a completely unbiblical way to think. I think there's a challenge for us here. Are we more concerned with the content of our current account than we are with the content of our character? Because the content of our character is actually a greater marker of how successfully we're living the Christian life than anything to do with our bank balance. And I think thirdly and most commonly, we can fall into the trap of thinking that the more we have, the more happy and content and secure we will be. Now, there is some logic to this one. Because obviously, when we have a lot of money in the bank, actually, the truth is that if the car breaks down, if the oven stops working, if you've got money in the bank, then you are more secure. It won't cause you as much um, of a financial crisis to someone who doesn't have a lot. But it's really interesting that Jesus views it completely the other way around. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a direct correlation between what we value, what we treasure, and what is going on in our hearts. And Jesus tells us that we're better off investing in things that have eternal value. We're better off investing the things we have in things that are going to last for all eternity than we are investing in things that actually can be ruined, lost, and destroyed in an instant. When we look at Jesus, we see that actually he didn't have very much at all. Jesus doesn't seem to have had a lot of possessions. It's actually interesting when he was asked about paying taxes and whether he would pay his taxes, he caused a miracle to happen where a coin came out of a fish's mouth, and that's how he paid his taxes. Jesus doesn't seem to have carried around a huge amount of money or a huge amount of possessions um, but he did have an awful lot to say about them. Actually, out of 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them are about money and possessions. 
And there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and possessions, which is actually four times as many as there are about prayer. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. And part of what Jesus was saying when he spoke about them was that we don't need to be anxious about these things. He was reassuring us, saying, God, your father, he knows what you need. He knows you need the essentials and he cares for you and he will provide for you. But he also made some pretty big asks of people. So in Mark 10, I've referred to the rich young man already. And he comes and he says to Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And this guy says, I've kept all of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says to him, there's one thing you lack. One thing. And what you lack is that you should go sell all you have and give it to the poor. So that you will have treasure in heaven. And we're told that the man goes away disheartened because he had a lot. Because he was very rich. But ultimately because he valued what he had right there and then. More than he valued what is of eternal worth. I don't know about you, but when I read a story like that in Mark 10, I tend to read it pretty quickly because it makes me really uncomfortable. And there are other parts of the Bible that I think make me feel better. So I'll just read it really fast. And I think, thank goodness Jesus didn't say that to everyone. Phew, that means I can move on and not have to think about whether it applies to me. But the fact is that Jesus did say it to someone, which means he might say it to me. He might say it to you. And Jesus wasn't being unkind to the guy. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Jesus knew that the guy would find so much of great treasure if he followed Jesus and he gave sacrificially as a heart response to Jesus than he would in his earthly wealth. Another guy that Jesus encountered was Zacchaeus. Um, He had a very different response. We're told that Zacchaeus was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was really short, so he had to climb up a tree to see Jesus. I feel like I don't need to make any comments there about how much I can relate to this story. But actually for Zacchaeus, when he grasped who Jesus was, when he looked at Jesus and he really saw him, his response was to say, I will give half of all I have to the poor. A response to an encounter with Jesus was radical generosity. And Zacchaeus also said, if I've defrauded anyone, I will repay them four times over. So it's not just radical generosity. It's also putting right the wrong things that he'd done with money or as a result of a desire to be rich. And in the early church, it was the same. In Acts 4, we read that there were no needy people among the followers of Jesus because no one had the attitude that what belonged to them was their own. They didn't have the attitude that this is mine and not yours. And so many of them sold their land and their houses and they gave it to the apostles to give to those in need. A genuine encounter with Jesus will affect our finances. It simply will. If we are following after Jesus, if we are opening up the word of God and being open to him shaping us, what we do with our money, what we do with our possessions will be affected. The challenge for those of us who follow Jesus here is, is are we saying everything I have is up for grabs, God? Everything I have is yours if you want it. It doesn't mean we'll all handle our money the same. You can be sitting next to someone here who's had just as powerful an encounter with Jesus, but their response financially might be very different to yours. 
Um, so, for example, uh, John Wesley, who I've talked about, gave most of his money away. But George Cadbury, who was one of the family members involved in Cadbury's chocolate, he made great wealth motivated by his faith. He actually ploughed it into business. He, he was very rich. His family, the Cadbury family, were very rich. But what they did with their money, motivated by their faith in Jesus, was that they built a village so that those people working in their factory could move out of the slum housing that they'd be living in. Not only did they build houses, but they made sure the houses had gardens, which most of the people working there would have never had before, never had a hope of having. They built schools. They built green open spaces Essentially, they built a community, and Cadbury's workers were treated with great respect and given relatively high wages compared to those around them. Good working conditions, Cadbury campaigned and pioneered pension schemes and full staff medical service. So Cadbury and other members of his family made great wealth as a result of their response to Jesus, but they used huge sums for the good of those around them. And then there's people like the cricketer C.T. Studd, who was effectively the equivalent of sports personality of the year. He was very rich and he was very famous. And he read about the rich young man. And he said, when I came to see that Jesus Christ had died for me, it didn't seem that hard to give up all for him. So C.T. Studd gave away 90% of his wealth. He kept 10% back for when he got married, but his fiance said to him, no, give it all. So then he gave away the last 10% as well. They moved to China as missionaries, taking only five pounds with them as they went. An encounter with Jesus, when we see our beautiful saviour, how incredible he is, how lavish he is in his goodness towards us, how lavish he is with his unending, unwavering love for us, that he gave up his life for us, it leads to a radical impact on what we do with our money and on our attitudes to what we own. And I think there are two particular things that if we want to loosen the grip of materialism on our own lives, we can do. One of them is to be rich in gratitude. In 1 Timothy, it says that those who are rich, which, as I've said, would be most of us in this room, comparatively speaking, we shouldn't set our hope or our security or our trust on riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know, the word rich is used loads in the New Testament, and mostly it seems to be used to talk about God being rich in mercy, to talk about God being rich in kindness. In Ephesians, it says that it talks about the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness towards us and the riches of the glorious inheritance we have in the saints. It talks about how God has richly poured out his love and grace and mercy and kindness and compassion upon us. And the right response to that is to be rich in gratitude towards God. And it's not just about um, kind of the spiritual things and the eternal things, but even we have so much to be grateful for because we live in this country. We have so much to be grateful for what most of us have been born into or have been able to come here and access and actually, if we're grateful for what we have, it leads to the contentment that this passage talks about. It leads to that contentment going, God, you've given me all I need to not just survive, but actually to flourish. The correct kind of response to that is to go, God, take whatever you want, Lord. You gave it all to me anyway. It's actually all yours. Everything I have has come from you in the first place. So take whatever you want. Give, give me kind of ways to use it for your glory. 
um, Tom Head, who some of you will know, leads um, a church that's part of our family of churches in the East End. One Sunday, he um, gave out five pounds to every single person who came through the door. And he said, use it for good this week. Use it um, to bless someone. So people used it to, I don't know, they either gave it away or they bought someone a coffee in Starbucks or they um, bought ingredients and baked cakes and then gave them to their neighbours. And Tom asked his church, um, once they'd done this, did you find it difficult to give the money away? And most of them were like, no, I didn't find it difficult at all. And he said, the reason it wasn't difficult is because it wasn't yours in the first place. Actually, if you, if you act as if everything you have isn't yours in the first place, it makes it so much easier to give it away. And finally, the second antidote is this, to be rich in good works and generosity. Again, it says 1 Timothy that those of us who are rich should do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. By liberally giving away what we have, by acting as if my possessions are yours as well and not just mine, actually we gain a treasure that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. We gain treasure that is eternal and will last for the whole of eternity. Ban, do you want to come um, back up? One guy I know felt really challenged by the impact that um, money and possessions had on him. And for him, it was branded clothing and trainers. And he would easily spend three or four hundred pounds on a pair of trainers. And one day he opened his wardrobe and he saw all these clothes that were branded and it cost a lot of money. And he thought, I don't think I wear half this stuff. And he said to God, please help me not have this attitude towards money and possessions. Please loosen its grip on my life. And what God told him to do was for a whole year to only buy something if he could buy two of it. So for a whole year, this friend of mine literally did not buy a single thing unless he could buy two. Every time he bought himself a coffee, he bought one for someone else, whether a stranger or a friend. Every time he went to the cinema, he bought a ticket for someone else. During that year, he did not buy a pair of trainers that cost three or four hundred pounds because he realized that if he couldn't buy it for someone else, then did he really need it himself? I just wonder if some of us, even if we did it for a month, even if I did that for a month, what impact it would have on whether money and possessions have a grip on my heart. I think the question this morning isn't how much can I have. It's not is it okay to be rich. The question is how can I best use what I have for the glory of God and for the good of others. I'd love for us to spend just a couple of minutes now actually just reflecting on our own, just praying and saying to God, has money, has possessions got a grip on my heart? God, what do you want me to do differently? Actually, in the run-up to Christmas even, how can I be rich in gratitude? How can I be rich in generosity and good works? Just, we'll just spend a couple of minutes just praying, just quietly thinking and being open to God and then the band will lead us.
went to see Queen Victoria, right? And he, um, he was late. Queen Victoria came into to, to her presence, and Queen Victoria was like, well, how do you do this? Where do you get your power from? Where, what is it that you do such good that you are better than everyone, every other organization? And, what, and the story goes, I don't know how true it is, but, but he, he took a piece of chalk in his jacket pocket and he drew a, drew a circle on the ground. And he stepped inside, with tears in his eyes, and said to Queen Victoria, because God 